Right, so we have our uh, online viewers back with us, um, and yeah, what a great morning. My name is uh, Rudy. For those of you that do not know me, uh, I am one of the pastors and elders here at the Rock Church, and what a fantastic morning. Uh, i got to tell you, it felt weird in the beginning. It's like, okay, are we allowed to do this? Can we, you know, gather again? This is, isn't this a dream? But then, you know, as we were worshiping and I was standing at the back, what just came to my mind again is that notion of, you know what, out of sight, out of mind. And we've been out of sight for the last six months and not being able to gather as God's people, um, gather corporate, uh, corporately and collectively. And when that's out of sight, you kind of like forget the body of Christ and the power of the the of God coming together and how the Spirit of God manifests Himself when we do come together, each person focusing on Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I just really, really enjoyed this morning and just, you know, we, you could just sense in the atmosphere that people are excited and God is here with us. So we want to say welcome. Welcome to so many new faces this morning, uh, physically here with us. Listen, you are most welcome. We would love to get to know you better, maybe afterwards, uh, find out who you are, where you're from, and how we can serve you, how we can connect with you. And then we also want to welcome anyone who's joining us uh, new this morning online through our live streaming. Uh, please make yourself known through the, the chat function, and someone from our Connect team would love to connect with you and find out who you are. Okay, so... Um, Without further ado, I'm going to jump in and start off with our new sermon series, which is titled Knowing Jesus. It's going to be a six to seven week series that we are going to focus mainly on what it looks like to follow Jesus, but to know Jesus, to know Him intimately and know Him very well as Lord and Savior, as your King. You will remember that about eight weeks ago, I did a series knowing God. And for four weeks, I took us through a journey of some fundamental basics of how to know God, but specifically how to hear His voice. And there we established that, you know, fundamentally and first and foremost, you cannot come to know God and you cannot come to hear His voice and hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit if you do not spend time with Him through His Word. And so first and foremost, I want to say this morning, if you're new to the Rock Church here in Squamish, we've got to tell you we love God's Word and we love the Bible. We believe that the whole Bible is inspired by God, written by, yes, various authors, various genres, but the overarching author is the Holy Spirit who inspired the people to write those truths and the overarching truth of who God is and what His plan is for mankind to redeem us from where we had sinned and rebelled against Him and now redeemed us to now be in a position we, where we are called to be His children. If we put our faith in what He has done through Jesus Christ. So we walked through that series and I specifically encouraged us to meditate on God's Word and to listen to God's Word and to listen to what He was speaking to us through meditation and prayer and listening prayer. And then Glenn returned from his sabbatical and he took us through the series of identity. So knowing God and, and how can we then come to know our true selves and, 
And he quoted a quote there from, I believe it's David Benner, that he focused on with his book. And the quote was to the extent of this, I'm paraphrasing here, that you cannot come to know your true self until you know God, if you truly know God. And you cannot truly know God if you do not know your true self. And so in that series, we journeyed through Genesis 1 and 2 and Ephesians 1 to 4, and we saw there what it means for the Christian, what it means for someone who is convicted of their sin, who repents and says, I was heading in one direction, but I turned a 180 degree towards God now because He has been here the whole time with me and He is calling me to walk with Him. What does that look like positionally? And we saw that what the Bible says is we are now called to be heirs to the throne. We are now called Jesus' friends. We are now children of God. We do not have to fear anything anymore but we can now cry out, Abba, Father. And in fact, our spirits are now made alive that we cry out, Abba, Father. And so, Glenn made the very important point that that's your position, but what, what is a struggle for the Christian is now this walk. Being in that position of being placed in the heavenly realms with Christ, being in Christ, you're not perfect yet. Can everyone agree with that? Can you say amen? I would, I would say that I know for a fact I'm not perfect, okay? But by, my position is perfect as a child of God. And what that means is, is it doesn't matter what you do and what you've done. Nothing will change with how God feels about you and how He loves you and how He has forgiven you and how He is busy transforming you and sanctifying you. And that is what we want to look at in this series. The overarching goal is now to say, okay, if my position is in Christ, I'm a child of God, I'm being sanctified, I'm being renewed after I've been redeemed and brought into His family, in God's family. What does that now practically look like? What is the praxis of my life? So with the Knowing God series, that will be the focus. What should the Christian life practically look like? And that is very important for us to understand because as we will look at our scripture again today, we're going to see a very hard word from Jesus. A hard calling, a tough calling. Because if I'm perfectly honest with you, when I started following Jesus initially as a young person, I was mainly doing it for getting benefits out of Jesus. Hearing promises of how good life is going to be and how's he, how he's going to solve all of my problems. But in fact, we will see here today that Jesus wants to remind us, his followers, those of us that pledge allegiance to him and are part of the church, which the Bible calls and uses a metaphor as calling the bride of Christ, that Jesus gives us some hard words and things to consider before we enter into a covenant with Him. So just like two people get married and, and they prepare for marriage and go through counseling and, and figure some stuff out and, and does personality tests and, and have to realize, hey, listen, I'm entering into this covenant for life. There's no way out until death do us part. Jesus says, listen, you've got to realize what the requirements are for this covenant agreement with this relationship that you're entering with me. 
Because we've got to remember the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is to make disciples of all nations. And disciples are disciplined ones. They are faithful ones. They are devoted ones. And here at the Rock Church, the best way we believe to do that, and this is our mission and vision, it is that we believe it is through knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. In other words, love God and love people. If you know Jesus, you love God. If you come to follow Jesus and trust Jesus, you love God. And if you make Jesus known, you love people. And that's what we're going to look at here today. Now with this in mind, I'm going to throw up there our sermon outline. And I've got three points to make. I'm taking a, a risk here again. I'm a bit of a risk taker when it comes to the points that I make, that the, <laughs> the titles of it. But maybe some of you will recognize that this uh, first point, the first point I'm going to make is, is a dead man walking. I'll talk a little bit about that. And then the second point, will you become a dead man walking? And then the last point there, the return of the everlasting man. That's what we're going to take a look at. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do not have your physical Bible with you, grab your phone and your Bible app and turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. And what I'm going to do this morning, I'm not going to read all of the verses first. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. But I'm going to take it section by section, discuss the points, and then we'll read it again. Okay, before we start, I'm just going to pray for us again. All right. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this morning again. We thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your presence. And uh, Father, I just come and ask, come and show us your truth. Sanctify us by truth. Jesus, you said your word is truth. So we, we thank you for that, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now this passage is familiar to Many of us, and you will remember during the Knowing God series, I looked at the, this passage in chapter 16. And the context of the situation is, of course, that if you're going to read chapter 16 from the start, Jesus has 
this conversation with his disciples where he is asking them the question, what do the people say? Who, who am I? And they give Jesus various answers. And then he asks them, well, who do you say I am? And we know that Peter responds and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus then says, well, Peter, that was revealed to you by my father. In other words, Jesus says, it's, it's impossible for you to come to that realization by yourself. The spirit of God revealed it to you. But then we see, of course, how Jesus is then talking about what exactly it's going to look like for him to be the Messiah. And he starts for the very first time predicting his death and resurrection. And we see Jesus, of course, getting this response from Peter. Now, under this first point of dead man walking, I want to explain to you where I come from with that title of the first point. Some of you might remember or have seen the movie from, I think it was 1995, Dead Man Walking. Anyone who remembers that movie or is this before all of your time? Okay, <laughs> not many people. Well, you've got to go watch the movie, okay? Us millennials or Generation Z or whoever we are, go watch that movie. It is a, it is a very moving movie uh, directed by Tim Robbins, but a powerful movie about a man, Matthew Ponsolet, who is played by Sean Penn, and a Catholic nun with the name of Helen Prejean, played by Susan Sarandon. And the whole plot of the story is how this man, Matthew Ponsolet, is in prison and on death row. He's waiting to be executed for the rape of a young woman and the murder of her boyfriend. And what happens in this movie and in the story, and it is based, it's, it's a fictional movie, but it's based off of real life events out of this, this nun's life. And it, it shows us the context of this man who was convicted of these crimes and he writes to this, this nun and he asks for her to come and visit him to be his spiritual guide. And she journeys then with him. She agrees to do this. But she is warned by her priest, and she goes nonetheless because she, she says she knows the commands of Christ. She knows Jesus. She knows the calling Jesus placed on her life to go and visit those who are in prison. And so she does this with a hope to lead Matthew to repentance. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens in the story. Spoiler alert, that will come at the end. But in that movie, and the title of our book, we hear this title, Dead Man Walking. And, and what it is, it is the title of those people who are on death row. And as they walk, their final walk towards execution, the prison guards walks with that person and says, dead man walking. Jesus, in not so many words, is basically telling his disciples here, even though they have acknowledged him as the Messiah, even though they have acknowledged him as their king, that he is a dead man walking. But he adds, I will be resurrected. Know this, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead 
after three days. Now, what's interesting is, is that Peter's reaction is really weird, right? Because he hears Jesus saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. So why does Peter react in this way where he says, no, this will never happen? He says to Jesus, we will not let them kill you. Well, the reason for that is, is because Peter and the rest of the disciples and the rest of the people of Israel had a preconceived idea, a predisposition of who the Messiah, of course, was going to be. They had this vision in mind of this military leader that was going to come, is going to obliterate the Roman Empire, free them, and then reestablish Israel to their former glory. But what is interesting is, Again, to look at Jesus' response. Jesus says, I'm a dead man walking. I'm going to rise from the dead though. And if you knew truly what the scripture said about this, you would place your faith in me and understand this and not be in my way. Jesus says, get behind me because if you do not allow me to complete this mission, you're a stumbling block to me. And he warns Peter, he says, listen, you have the concerns of man. On your heart and not the concerns of God. Now, what were the concerns of man? It wasn't just Peter's concerns for himself, it wasn't just about himself, but it was, I want to submit to you that it was concerning Israel. Peter was concerned about the fact that the Messiah was supposed to rule and reign from Jerusalem and rule as Israel's leader so that Israel could dominate again. But it was about ethnicity. It was about his people. It was about his group. Instead of about what God's plan was. Whereas Jesus, on the other hand, had the concerns of God on his heart. And what were those concerns? The concerns were that God wanted Jesus to rule and reign over all nations. Over all people. All tribes and tongues. Not just Israel. But the ruling and reigning would not look the way that they were expecting it to be. And so God's concerns were totally different than Peter's. Peter was just focused on his ethnicity, his nationality, nationalism. This is who we are. We're going to be restored to former glory. Israel is going to be great again. Whereas Jesus came and said, God's concern is for the whole world. Not only Israel's. And God was finally concerned about the redemption and His plan for mankind to redeem them, to bring them into His family. And what that meant was that even the most despicable, the most hated, the most marginalized, the most fill-in-the-blank people that were despised could get the opportunity to actually come to know God. And that is what Peter did not get. But the difference here is again that Jesus, even though he's a dead man walking and predicts his execution that's going to happen, he is in actual fact innocent. He is sinless. But he is willing to be that dead man walking because he knows what it's going to mean for the world. That is how much he loved the world. That is how much God loved the world. That is how much God loves each and every one of us. That 
Jesus Christ, God incarnate, would come and be that dead man walking, face the punishment, and receive it for the world so that his blood could atone for the sins of mankind. Now, I find myself constantly in battle with the flesh and with the old self. We reflected on that in the identity series, how we as Christians have an old self, a flesh we have to constantly deny that is in combat, in competition with the new self and with the spirit. But, but I too, like Peter on this one, can very quickly react where I want to defend Jesus, where I want to defend the church, and I want to stand up for things. But I don't understand God's overarching plan. And I don't have the concerns of God maybe on my heart and mind because I want to make it maybe about me and my safety and me being safe from what God is actually doing through His church. It's my concerns versus the desires of Jesus. And in that way, I can also, and all of us, we, we need to consider this, that if we have the concerns of man whether it's my own concerns or my tribe or my political group or, or my society, if I have those concerns on the heart above God's concerns, I am a stumbling block. That's the warning Jesus gives Peter. He says, if your concerns are not for God's will and His glory, you are a stumbling block to what Jesus wants to do. And I want to ask you this morning, what is it mainly that you are concerned about in your life at the moment? Is it the concerns of God? Is it for His glory? Is it about His mission? Is it about making disciples and followers of Jesus? Or is it about what you want to see happen in God's church and for your glory or for maybe something else's glory? Is what you are fighting for merely perhaps the concerns for your desires or other desires or for God's desires? That is a question all of us have to constantly battle with and reason with. But listen, not only was Jesus a dead man walking, but we see now in the next section how he calls those who want to follow him and those who call themselves his disciples, how he calls them with this question actually to ask, will you become a dead man walking? Will you follow me? Will you do what I do? Will you actually be my disciple? And this is the hard part of this message. In Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, we see that Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see, Jesus rebukes Peter because he's got the concerns of himself and Israel on his heart. And what is Jesus' mission and point that Peter misses is that Jesus wants to re reunite all people back to God through his death and resurrection. 
But what is great about this passage is to see that Jesus' invitation is to everyone. It's an open invitation. Look at that. It says, and Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Okay, He's not limiting it to just a certain people group. Or the religious, or those who are clever, those who've got their master degrees or, or qualifications. But anyone. It's an open invitation. But there's a requirement. This is where that marriage contract, that's that marriage counseling. He says, listen, if you want to be part of God's plan to be married to Him in this metaphorical language of if you want to be part of the bride so that you can be in a covenantal relationship with me, this is the requirement. Will you become a dead man walking too? Will you pick up your cross and follow me? Now we got to understand what the disciples heard when Jesus asked them this. Because they would be familiar with the crucifixion. Crucifixion was the, the main form of execution and punishment for those who opposed Rome. And so the disciples would have seen multiple times people being crucified. And so when Jesus says this, this will be a shocking statement to them. Because they are used to Rome pushing that upon those that oppose Rome. Why would the Messiah tell them, listen, go and pick up your cross, follow me? To tell you a little bit more, a bit more about crucifixion, it was a very slow, painful, and gruesome death. It was a humiliating experience, a humiliating way to be condemned and forced to carry a 300-pound cross towards the place where you are now going to be nailed to it. And if you were lucky, you were placed with your feet at the bottom. But in many cases, people were crucified upside down. Timothy Paul Jones writes in his book, that is titled Misquoting Jesus, that actually in the ancient times, and there's an ancient Roman document that recorded a prostitute, a Roman prostitute, that hurled this insult at an uncouth patron, get yourself crucified. So to use that word crucified, that was like the worst possible humiliating thing that you could ever tell someone or to think and he writes in his book that it is no wonder that in the first century, folk referred to the worship of a crucified God as moria, mania, amentia, which is foolishness, insanity in the Greek, idiocy in Latin. So we've got to understand when Jesus says to his disciples, listen, carry your cross, pick up your cross, This is what's going through their mind. Prepare to die. Are you prepared to follow me unto death? Are you prepared to become vulgar? Are you prepared to become humiliated by carrying this cross, this burden of being associated with me, Jesus, the Messiah? 
And Jesus goes on to say, listen, what does it profit you if you gain everything? What does it profit you if you have all the success in business? What does it profit you if you have all these achievements, this great life, accumulate a bunch of stuff perhaps, travel the world, have gone every, everywhere, seen everything, experienced everything, and all these gains and pleasures? What does that profit you if you forfeit your soul, if you lose your soul? And Jesus says, that life is not just about the physical. The most important thing is about what is going to happen to your soul one day. And he calls us to count everything else a loss. And to take up that position to be associated with him. The one who was despised. The one who was a vulgar, humiliating picture for those that gazed upon Jesus when he was upon that cross. Philippians 3 verses 7 to 8 says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen to that. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, Paul writes, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is it that you and I, at this very moment in our lives, are trying to gain? And is it in line with the mission of Jesus? Is it for Jesus? What are you and I so preoccupied with at the moment that is maybe all-consuming? And, and I have to ask myself that question, and I've been asking myself that question in the last couple of weeks. Is there's, there's lots of things going on in my heart and in my mind. Because if it is Jesus, the fruit will show. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But if it's not in Jesus, if it's not about Jesus and His mission, you will be a very disturbed and unsatisfied soul. As you accomplish every task, I promise you, you will jump to the next one. Because as you accomplish and achieve what you set out to achieve, and if it's not in Christ, and if it's not for Christ, it will not satisfy And you will look to fill your life with experience after experience, thing after thing, job after job, cause after cause. But if it's not for His kingdom, it will overpromise but underdeliver. And again, I think the ultimate question here, the overarching question we have to ask ourselves is this Am I willing to be? that vulgar, humiliated image for Christ? Am I willing to be humiliated? Am I willing to pay the price of temporal suffering in order to gain the eternal life 
with Jesus Christ. Finally, my final point, the return of the everlasting man. This is the promise. This is Jesus now bringing it to a close. This is what they need to remember, what it's all about. Matthew 16, verse 27 to 28. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Here's the main idea. The first time Jesus came, God incarnate, to this earth, to live amongst us the perfect life that we couldn't live and die the perfect death that we were supposed to die. He came as a humble servant and he took the punishment of the world upon himself. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So he took that upon himself. But he came with a message of compassion and an opportunity for the world to be reconciled. But what Jesus is pointing towards here is that second coming. The second time when He does return, He is coming in glory. The second time He is coming, He is coming with fury. The second time Jesus comes, He will be coming with power and majesty and with fire in His eyes and with a sword coming out of His mouth, the Word of God by which He will Demolish his enemies. That is the king that will be coming back. That is the king who will be coming back to reckon with all of the injustices of the world. Will finally solve every issue. Will separate us from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from the pleasure of sin forever. And that is the judgment that each and every one of us actually wants. The, the world craves judgment. Have you seen that in the last couple of years? It's ramping up. People are so eager for justice and judgment, for people to be brought to justice. So we have this eagerness and this awaiting for everything to be solved. But it's only going to happen Finally, at His second coming. And we've got to understand that there is a judgment that's coming that is a judgment for the just and the unjust. Those that love Jesus will be separated from those who hated Jesus and despised Jesus. And then for those who love Jesus, there is a separate judgment coming at the judgment seat of Christ. Where Jesus is going to judge, he's going to look at our lives as Christians and he's going to ask, listen, what did you do with what you received? You're in me, but let's have a look because there are going to be rewards in heaven. People have got this picture that they think you're just going to be sipping ice lattes on cloud, whatever, with baby angels flying around. That's not the picture of heaven. Heaven is going to be something totally different than what we think. We cannot even imagine it because our minds and our thoughts and our hearts are so clouded by what's going on in this fallen world and by sin. And we cannot imagine what it's going to be like to have no concerns of anything of that nature because Jesus is with us. He is with us presently 
physically. I cannot even imagine that. Another scripture that, that talks about this judgment coming is Revelation 12, verses 12 to 16. Jesus writes this. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. It's this picture again of the garden. It's, it's the, the recreation, the, the perfect garden. Blessed are those who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who have repented of their sins, who have trusted in Him, and they have the right to live eternity with Jesus. But listen to this stark reality. This is Jesus' own words. It sounds harsh. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice, listen to that, practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderous, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You know what? That's all of us. Because Jesus said, if you just lust after a man or a woman, you have committed sexual immorality. If you just hate your brother or your sister, you have committed murder. In the beginning, I referenced the movie Dead Man Walking. And I wanted to play a little clip from that movie, but I would wasn't able to do it this morning because we're, of course, broadcasting and you need copyright. But spoiler alert here, what happens in that movie is, in the end, this Christian lady, Ellen Pregin, she visits Matthew Ponsolet and she loves him. She calls him to repentance. And in the movie, he acknowledges in the end, that he did murder the two people because from the start he was denying it. He was blaming everyone else for his problems. And it's depicted in the, the story that he repents. And there is a scene where she's with him in his jail cell outside. And she, when he repents and when he's remorseful, she says, you're a son of God. Christ is here with you. And he says, no one has ever called me a Christ, a son of God. And then there is the scene where he is taking his final walk to be executed. And he is anxious. And he falls to his knees. And she's there with him. And she says, Christ is here with you. Christ is with you. And then she tells him, I want you to look at me as you lie down. And are spread out and given this lethal injection. I want you to look at the face of love. I want you to look at the face of Christ. It's a very moving moment because he, he walks. And she puts her hand on his shoulder and she reads to him scripture. As he walks through the valley of the shadow of death.
And that struck me if I look at that clip. Because firstly, we need to realize that I, you and I, we are like that Matthew Ponsolet. We deserve death. It doesn't matter if you think that you're not as bad as that guy. In the end, sin is sin. And sin separates us from God. But we've got to understand that Christ Jesus loved the world so much that He said, No, I will take that punishment for you. But He does call us to walk this path with Him. And He is with us. He walks it out with us just like that Christian lady, that nun, was walking with him. And he encourages us that we have nothing to fear. So if you're in Christ, there is absolutely nothing to fear. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ, you're a beloved. You're a son and a daughter of the Most High. But secondly, what that implies is, is there is a calling upon our lives to now be Christ, to be those figures, to be those people who then walk alongside the Matthew Ponsolates that are like that lady, and we go and be Christ for those who are the most despised, who are the ones that, that we as a society look at and say, I don't know if they're ever going to make it. And that is where the, the walking gets tough. I really get scared of that because it gets super messy. But if you're positioned in Christ and by His Spirit, He empowers us to do that and walk that out. Walk with others who are dead people walking. But the promise is then that when we do that, we can trust in the everlasting man of Jesus Christ and that we, like Him, will become, we will become like Him. We will live everlastingly with Him. And lastly, if you're not in Christ yet, if you have not made that decision yet, this is an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I am scared to carry that cross, but I trust you that you will help me. Help me to become that which you have called me to become. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we end off here and pray. And I want to invite you, whatever your situation, whatever you're going through in your life, Christ is here. His Spirit is here. Let us respond. If it is that you are already in Christ, maybe today is a day that the Spirit is convicting you of sin. And all He wants you to do is, like a loving Father, He wants you to talk to Him about it, acknowledge it, come clean so that that 